listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Contrary to many marketers and uh, my co-host Jason in particular, who think that marketing drives everything in a professional services firm, the truth of the matter is in a relationship-driven business, business development and sales is the heart of a professional services firm. You know, before we start and introduce our guests, let me blow that up. I've been thinking about this. I think we should retitle the function of business development. We should just call it marketing support. What do you guys think? (laughs) (laughs) When I was graduating from undergrad, my father, who was an old salty dog businessman, gave some of the best advice I think he ever gave me from a career perspective. And that was, Jeff, your first job needs to be in sales because nobody will take you seriously in the business and on the sales force unless you've spent time on the street. And it was some of the best advice because he was absolutely right. And it's proven out in my career. That's why today I've invited a good friend of mine and a very talented sales guy, business developer, and professional services expert to join us. There are lots of them out there, but what makes our guest, David Ryan, CEO of Gray Matters, so unique is his view on business development and what it takes for a firm to be successful at business development and sales. Good morning, David. Jeff, Jason, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks Thanks for joining us. So for our listeners who don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about the career path that brought you to Gray Matters and the role you have. And tell us a little bit about Gray Matters. Yeah, guys, great to be with you. Uh, Dave Ryan, managing partner with Gray Matters Group out of Chicago. We've been in business for about 15 years. We're a growth consultancy for professional services firms. I started my career back at IBM back in the mid 80s through the early 90s and then got into IT consulting with a firm called the Revere Group and ran that firm's sales, marketing and strategic alliances function. Also co-ran our CRM practice. And I'll be honest with you, kind of saw a huge difference between the IBM world and that of a professional services firm and began to realize that it wasn't just the Revere Group that struggled with some of the things I was seeing around revenue generation, but I saw that evident with many of the professional services firms I had exposure to. And I started a business back in 2002 to help focus on elevating the performance of the business development revenue generating function of a professional services firm. And in particular, we've really focused even more deeply on how do you better leverage and activate your already client-facing individuals, your billable professionals, to be more participative in the, uh, the business development process. They're oftentimes embedded out there, doing good work, credible with the client, on site for extended periods of time. They're hearing things, and they're in a position to be able to be a wonderful lead generator if appropriately leveraged. And so that's a lot of the work we've been doing. That's unique because I've been in lots of big professional services firms and firms normally have some kind of sales training every couple of years, Miller Hyman or the Challenger Sale, Name Your Poison. There are hundreds of them out there trying to turn partners and soon-to-be partners 
into rainmakers. And after about a month, maybe two, all of that training to me just seems to go out the window and there's really no difference. So why don't partners know how to sell when it's so important to what they do? (laughs) I think it's a great question. First of all, I wouldn't say that all partners don't know how to sell. However, I think there's a whole generation of partners and leaders of professional services firms who struggle with it. The reality is, sadly, is is we've got a group of leaders in a lot of these professional services firms who were never asked to have to sell. They were elevated to partners because they were great technicians. They were great subject matter experts at their point in their career. But these days, with the commoditization of the professional services sector, anybody who's elevated from manager, senior manager, whatever that level is, just below partner into the partner rank and file. These are people who have to bring more to the table than just technical competence. They have to bring relationship building skills and revenue generating skills. So we've got this population of partners who may partner because they were great at quality delivery. And so they weren't taught a lot of the skills, the disciplines, the rigor around how do we go to market, capture revenue, generate leads, navigate the decision-making process with our clients. They assumed there's this constituency that if I do good work, I'm going to get more work, right? I'm going to get that next piece of business. And I think that's no longer the mantra. If you do good work, you'll get a look, but it doesn't guarantee you the next piece of business. So that's my quick and dirty answer to your question, Jim. I thought a great brand just took care of all that. Well, actually, I have a serious question on this front, but... That is a serious question. It wasn't a serious question. What I'm curious about, David, is did something change? You know, like did 20, 30 years ago, did the path of partner require a ability to have relational selling skills that suddenly went away? Like did the market like have this big expansion, expansionary period where you could, you could just rise to partner as a technician? without building these softer relational skills. At least that's what I'm hearing. I I think something did change. I think it changed in two seminal moments in our economy. If you think about the dot-com bust in the early 2000s, and you think about the Great Recession in 08, 09, you know, prior to the dot-com recession, if you will, in professional services, whether you're an IT consulting firm, you're a public accounting firm, audit tax, whether you're financial risk consultants, ops consultants, strategy consultants, engineers, architects, throw some attorneys in there, you could differentiate one firm from the next and or one individual from the next based on technical comp. There were some real players, Jason, and I think there were some pretenders out there. I think there were some people out there who who uh, hung up a shingle and said we were in a, the consulting business. But quite honestly, we're not very good at not only subject matter expertise, but high quality delivery, having methodologies and competencies and industry expertise. So you could differentiate a firm or an individual from the next based on their technical competence. And in that time, you didn't have to sell a whole lot. If you did good work, you would get more work because clients could differentiate between the players and the pretenders. The recession washed all the pretenders out. Those two recessions, excuse me, washed the pretenders out. They're gone. And so whoever is left standing is really, really good in terms of technical competence. So how do you separate one firm from the next based on technical competence? To me, it's paper thin. And so now the opportunity for differentiation has shifted from the back end service delivery to the front end client experience, in my opinion. 
And so it's really put a significant burden on partners and directors, but also the next generation of delivery professionals, manager, senior manager, whatever the term is, to be more thoughtful about how they engage the market, navigate client challenges, bring more value, and in the process, differentiate themselves. Does that help? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. One, one of the things I thought was really interesting about what you said is, is I actually think your business is predicated even one step further from that. It's, it's beyond CX in customer experience. It's actually, it's the sales experience as well, right? Which you know, in and of itself is a microcosm of the, of the overall client experience, right? Totally. I, I would say the sales experience is one part of the client experience. There's the delivery experience, right? There's the marketing experience. All of these things have to be aligned to really shape what what you're getting at, and that's that overall client experience. And I will tell you, there's professional services firms who do that well in a collaborative, disciplined way across the different functions of their firm. And there are those entities that are very much siloed. There's delivery, there's marketing, there's sales. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to cross our fingers and hope good things happen. What's the difference between those cultures and those firms? I assume it's cultural, but in your experience, what differentiates those firms that do that front end selling or integration better? Well, Jeff, I think it's a great question. I think you really have to kind of look back at sort of the legacy culture of professional services. And that is the asset of the business are the technicians, right? The subject matter experts. The people who a client will buy are the consultants, the delivery professionals. So that's the asset. And so unfortunately, I think it's created over the years, this kind of attitude that, hey, I'm delivery, I'm the asset, you sales and marketing are sort of a a nice to have, and I guess we have to have it, but sometimes uh, those entities are looked down upon and almost as stepchildren. I can't imagine anybody listening to this podcast can relate to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, really getting back to the the culture piece, I I think the one of the firms that really do that well is where there's equity across those functions, where Each of those pieces of the operation recognizes what their role is, but there's an integration across service delivery. There's integration across marketing and sales. We're working together. We're collaborating. We're sharing. We're respectful of each other's role in the process. And if we do that really well, I I like to say it's the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. To me, that really speaks to the entities, the professional services firms, that are heads and tails above the others that are working more in silos. How do you break that down? I mean, I can speak from personal experience. I won't name names here, but I, I mean, I've been in firms where the culture from the partners and subject matter experts is, is quite frankly, just toxic towards the sales and marketing folks. I mean, they, they, they literally will flat out call them overhead to their face as if they're just a, you know, like a, a drag on profitability. So when, you, when you're in that environment, that siloed environment, how do you break it down? It's not easy. It's like pushing, pushing yeah. a rope uphill, in my opinion. It's one of the reasons, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I've chosen this particular industry as our exclusive focus. I like to say it's a target-rich environment, Jason. There's a ton of opportunity to make a difference. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot to be done, but I think a lot of it starts with leadership who embrace the importance of this more collaborative environment, and they will not stand for the attitude that is being suggested by you. 
if you don't have leaders, yeah. practice leaders, firm leaders at the top who are really uh, carrying that flag, if you will, you're going to be challenged to change the overall culture. I like to call them enlightened leaders. These are people who recognize that we cannot continue to do things the way we used to. That if we're going to move forward and grow and scale, we have got to do it in a more collaborative way because each of us bring various expertise to the table. And when we do that in an orchestrated way, it can be a beautiful thing. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. You use a, I want to say rowboat, but that's not the term. It's one of those sleek boats that you'd see on the Charles River. It's a crew boat. Yes. As a metaphor for what you're talking about, and because of the the commodification of professional services and this now being a game of inches or even millimeters. It's the organization that has all of those seats in that crew filled. And not are they, are they only rowing, but they're rowing in perfect harmony or unison. And it's giving them a speed. That's where the differentiation is now. Well, Jeff, there's a terrific book out there, if you haven't read it, Boys in the Boat, that speaks to exactly that. And I don't know if it was really positioned as a business book, but I think it supports exactly what you're talking about. It's putting the right people in the right seats and had everybody, you know, rowing in unison in a orchestrated fashion together. And I will tell you, sometimes it means moving different players into different positions in the boat. And it's really at the end of the day, how do we optimize the performance of this team? And I'll tell you, the, to me, the laggards are the are the entities where they continue to be silos. They continue to have a lot of attitude. They continue to suggest that the be all and end all asset of the firm are, is de- the delivery side, which yes, they are. But you know, when they continue to carry that attitude forward, it becomes toxic, Jason, as you mentioned, and it, it just undermines the effectiveness of, of the rest of the entity. But when those silos are broken down, there's clarity of roles and responsibilities, there's process, there's rigor, there's discipline, there's accountability. Now we're all moving to a single vision. Man, I'm telling you, it can be a really, really beautiful thing. Let's pivot. I want to talk a little bit about the work that Gray Matter does and sales training in particular. Like I said earlier in our conversation, I've been through a lot of different sales training and a lot of them you know, have momentum, the nomenclature gets used for, you know, a month or two, and then they just really disappear and people just fade back into their, to their day jobs. So David, talk a little bit about why sales trainings fail or succeed in firms. Well, I think it depends on, on how you're defining sales training, Jeff, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's a pretty broad topic. I mean, the reality is there's content and programming out there that's geared exclusively to the partner, director, rainmaker type, right? The the um, senior delivery person who is solid technically, but is expected to go out and drive revenue. 
There's also sales training and content out there directed to the dedicated business developer, right? The less technical individual, but this is the person who's responsible for getting out there and kicking down some doors, uh, generating leads uh, into net new clients, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's, you know, what I would call more relationship training, lead generation content and programming for the general population, the arms and legs delivery professionals. That's the stuff that we're doing. There's a ton of content out there for rainmakers, senior partner types, and and dedicated sellers. Personally, I believe a lot of that content is a little transactional. Uh, It feels transactional, but it is definitely rooted in the selling vernacular. You know, how do we negotiate, close, qualify, questioning and answering skills, uh, navigating the decision-making process. And there's some wonderful providers out there for that. That's not what Gray Matters does. We gear our content and programming to the other, what I would say, 90% of the technical staffs, subject matter expert individuals who are already client-facing. They're already working on projects, oftentimes embedded at clients, but for sure interacting regularly with their clients. That's the group. Call them upper, middle level delivery professionals and on down. That's the group that we're targeting. And I'll be honest with you, I'm real sensitive about even using the term sales training. I like to use our our program is called Relationship Expansion for Professionals, primarily because sales just has a negative connotation to delivery folks. And I will tell you, those are folks who get really spooked by that term because they've worked so hard to build their street cred with their clients through their technical competence. And the last thing they want is for the client to sniff out and suggest that that consultant is trying to hustle them, trying to sell something. And so really, it's for us, it's more about giving these mid to upper level consultants just some basic blocking and tackling skills and behaviors to enable them to be more comfortable interacting, connecting, asking a few more questions, pick their head up, take their blinders off and pay attention to what's happening around them. The reality is that there are other issues and needs that those clients that they're already serving are wrestling with that that consultant's firm is in a position to service and convert into revenue. That is lead generation. That is a scalable revenue model. And so, you know, our philosophy for that group is let's not use the word sales. This is not sales training per se. It's relationship training. And oh, by the way, Get them to execute on the fundamentals really well. And so let's not overwhelm an already overwhelmed group of individuals with a bunch of sales shtick. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Give them a process and just get them more comfortable uh, getting in the game. And when they do that, I promise you, these individuals are going to stumble across deal flow that otherwise would have been left on the table. How do you know when this approach is working? How would an organization begin to see the impact of having all these subject matter experts out there doing what you're proposing in their existing clients? That's a great question. I I will tell you, I think there's some leading indicators and we benchmark uh, our work. We're we're very metrics driven. You know, uh, I service professional services firms and those firms are being asked to justify themselves every day with their clients. So I, in turn, as a vendor to a professional service firm am being asked to justify my work, right? And so it's really important for us to be able to show that we've moved the needle. So I really think that you can kind of benchmark the skills and behaviors and the efforts of the the typical billable professional before we get involved with them. 
For example, you know, let's let's assess, you know, the number of new relationships you've created at current clients in the last 90 days, six months. You know, get, get some sort of baseline number of new relationships at current clients, number of new relationships at new clients or referral source. How about number of new relationships built within your firm? Because if we're asking these people to cross sell, and help be lead generators for the greater good of the firm, we want to make sure that they are understand the other capabilities of their firm, but also have relationships with other people in other practices so that they can tee those folks up. So other relationships internally within your own firm. Another leading indicator is maybe relationships refresh with past colleagues, people I went to school with, people I worked with, past clients. If you get a baseline in terms of activity around those numbers, and then you train these folks up, put them through a program, support them, nurture the learnings, and then ask them to assess themselves again across those same metrics three months, six months later, we can compare sort of a before versus after. And you're going to see activity, to me, leading indicator activity of more relationships, more conversations in the process deal flow. Now we can also track against CRM, what sort of leads have been brought in from this constituency, what were brought in before there was an intervention and what sort of leads were brought in afterward. Now you have to kind of assess those leads and say, well, would would some of those leads have been generated through our traditional selling channels? And usually I say, yeah, probably. And I'll discount the deal flow, if you will. But even the deal flow at a discounted rate that we're creating through our work easily pays for the intervention of of me coming on board. And we're seeing, honestly, we're seeing a minimum of a 6x ROI, 10x on average within six months of our programming, just from deal flow created at a discounted rate. And when I say discounted, not discounted bill rate, but discounted number of opportunities, it easily pays for itself. And that's the beauty of what we've done. We've cracked the code on how do you activate the biggest asset of a consulting firm, the billable professional. And really, when you when you say that, you know, that, that 6x ROI, 10x ROI, whatever it is, that what you're applying towards that is sort of enhancing their relational skills, helping them look beyond the project, helping them build relationships inside their client organizations, build relationships within the within the firm itself so that they understand, you know, the entirety of the practice better. Is there anything else that you that you you know you're putting resources against in this type of model? Well, I think you, you hit on them. I'll be honest with you, Jason. The work that we do not only drives revenue and lead generation, but these people are more effective in service delivery. You think of the importance of navigating relationships and having good, high-quality relationships with your client, and the proverbial hiccup of a, a project comes about. You know, what did it feel like for a delivery professional or a project team to navigate that hiccup in the project when you had a good, solid set of relationships wide and deep at a particular client? And then you think about that same proverbial hiccup when you don't have a good relationship. You're only leaning on one or two key individuals at that client. What did navigating that hiccup feel like? So I really believe this manifests itself beyond just deal flow and revenue. It's service delivery, and it's the other piece that marketing loves, and that's client loyalty. It's stickiness. How do we embed ourselves? How do we set the hook more deeply with our clients and continue to differentiate and separate ourselves? So I'm not sure if I, I answered your question, Jason, but these are some of, the, to me, some of the other benefits of the work. You, you did, it was fabulous. And, and, I, and I'll even add a metric that I think you might want to add if you haven't thought about it. But as Jeff 
full well knows, I've worked with consultants, both on the sales side and sort of a number of different areas of our agency. And I I remember years after having worked with this one consultant who had done a lot of great work for us and really sort of improved our, you know, our approach to the marketplace and our approach to selling in general, our business development in general, he sends out a survey asking for feedback on, on sort of, you know, where the biggest value creation was from his work. And one of the light items that he had in that survey was confidence. That was it. It was like, you know, and for me, that was actually the number one thing that he created inside of me and inside of the business. And so I would argue that there's, you know, there's just a confidence factor that you're probably bringing to these billable professionals that is qualitative metric, but it it leads to everything else. You know, it's funny you should say, Jason, because that's when I lay out the goals for our programming, there's nothing up there that says turn you into a sales guy, right? It's, it's, it's expand their comfort zone around building relationships. And, And to do that, you have to be confident. I mean, this is getting you, you know, raising the bar in terms of your ability to engage and interact confidently. So I would totally agree. I think another metric and impact of what we do is retention. Especially in a tight job market like right now, where you want to make sure that you're holding tight to your high quality service delivery professionals. When my clients begin to invest in their consultants beyond technical competence around this thing called relationship expansion, around skills that go beyond just my service delivery capability. I'll tell you, the, the consultants take notice. They appreciate that, especially the younger millennials and such. They they want to know that their firm is, is really supporting them and helping to elevate their skills across the board. Jeff, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better place to stop. I agree with you. I would just like to say this. When I first saw David's work as a CMO and saw that 10x number, it caught my eye. And it's really important because, you know, firms value revenue. But what really sold me on David's work is this idea that it's getting so hard to separate high performing firms and differentiate them that it is those firms that have that culture that is focused on an integrated client experience that feeds not only client retention, but employee intention and just makes the firm stronger overall. And by extension, you know, the reputation and the brand of the firm. And if you're a CMO and you can't get behind that, you might need to find a new (laughs) job because that's what it's all about. So David, thank you for joining us. We're going to have to have you back because I feel like we just scratched the surface on that. I was just thinking the same thing. But yeah, thank you, David, for joining us. It was really insightful and I really enjoyed it a lot. Well, delighted to be part of this. And I'm happy to, to continue the discussion. As as you probably have gathered, I've, I've got a pretty strong opinion about this. But having done it now for 15 years and coming out of my IBM experience and working in professional services for a big chunk of my career, I think a lot of what we're doing is, is playing out quite nicely. And as I said, it's a target-rich environment and we're having a lot of fun doing it. So thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Pedal, pedal, pedal.